Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. Well, how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. Ah, Elizabeth Dutton. Hey, Zarin, it's so good to see you. Nice to see you, too. Thanks, you been, for, you been thanks well? for showing up today. Yeah, well, you know, I had time. Thought good. I'd make it. Me, too. I missed you. Why not? So I got a question for you now that I've seen you. Yes, sir. Do you know what's ridiculous? Yes, I do. Do you want to share? Yeah. It's not that this person is ridiculous. This person is a font of ridiculousness. Oh, so Steve-O. No. <laughs> New. So it is a listener of ours. Mm -hmm. I think it's Allie Wilkins 007, okay. A-L-I Wilkins 007 on Instagram. This was all passed along to me today. Uh, this person has provided us with a number of ridiculous things that are just making it to me today. Ah, Allie in, in particular. Allie. Ah, thank um, you, Allie. This person gave us, um, apparently Adidas Mexico had panaderia shoes that look like conchas, hmm. which like, that makes sense. That's, yeah. Uh, then there's Pasta Garofalo did a mashup with PlayStation. So like Pasta Garofalo is like one of the oldest pasta oh, uh, brands okay. in the world. I thought it was like a riff on Jimmy Garofalo. It's Gene Garofalo's pasta company. Yeah, there you go. Uh, they're shaped like the little does, like shapes on the, the controller, the square mm. and the X, whatever. Mm -hmm. Okay. It was clever. <laughs> uh, good for them. Yes. But here's the one that, that kind of jumped out today. Um, they linked to uh, a post from Interstellar underscore Isabella, okay. who had news of a scandal at the Minnesota Seed Art uh, Competition. A scandalo? A scandalo. Uh, okay, so one of the most popular seeds used in the seed art competition, which are you familiar with this? I believe so. It's when you like glue seeds to paper, basically. Yeah, and you make, make like, art with seeds. Yeah, yeah it's you, like what kids arts and crafts. Totally, okay. but like at a high level. Yes, but at, like, you know, like 30,000 feet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Ends up looking like a mosaic. Yes, exactly. Okay. And one of like the primo uh, supplies for that are yellow mustard seeds. Huh. Because they're really easy to dye. Okay. And they're like a perfect round shape and the perfect size okay. and everyone is just like oh, oh my god yellow mustard seed. i bet poppy seeds are also big and they're too tiny oh I but i mean i'm sure they anyway, use them for yeah. yeah whatever so um what do i know about seeds here's the thing though for the minnesota seed art competition that you have to use crops grown in minnesota oh that's a fun limitation and someone ratted out that 
yellow mustard seeds are not grown as a big crop in Minnesota. Huh. So they are now banned <laughs> from after they, I guess people have been working their fingers to the bone on these things. And okay. so after this year's, like, which is happening end of August, mm. um, like a so it has festival. happened now okay. that I'm realizing we're already in September. Yes. So yeah. Okay. So it's <laughs> flip the calendar. Oh, la. Um, so it, they're not going to be able to do them anymore. And so, um, you know, you can use black or white. Uh, mustard seeds. Oh, of course. But those just aren't as great as yellow mustard seeds. <laughs> I didn't Ron know that was Kelsey, black or white yellow mustard. <laughs> I know. Right? Ron Kelsey, who's apparently the superintendent of farm crops with what I don't know, um, he has asked the Minnesota Farmers Association for yellow mustard to be grown as a crop. <laughs> we need it for the art. In order to support the seed art competition, <laughs> which is ridiculous and I love it. Thank you, Allie Wilkins. God, I hope it's Allie and not Ailey or whatever. Wilkins 007. Brava, you've done it again, you, you goofball. That is ridiculous. Yeah. Thank you, Allie. Thanks, Rude Dude. Way to go, Minnesota. Keeping it, Minnesota. God bless it. If you got a second, I got one for you. I do. All right. I know you've heard of this band I'm going to tell you a story of today. Well, this group, not really a band. But I bet you could pick up and sing one of their hits if I had just started singing or humming it right now. Okay. I mean, I won't do that, but oh, I bet darn. you could, right? Because uh -huh. this group was once everywhere. They were once the world's most iconic like up and coming act. They were not only did they win the hearts of the people, Elizabeth, they also won a Grammy for the best new recording artist. Oh, wow. Yes, they were young, hot, famous pop stars. They had it all. But then, Elizabeth, oh, but then. <laughs> Today, I want to tell you the story of Millie Vanilli. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> This is Ridiculous Crime, a podcast about absurd and outrageous capers, heists, and cons. It's always 99% murder-free and 100% ridiculous. Okay, Elizabeth. Seven. Have I got a wild one for you today. Yes. I mean, I already told you what it's about. Yeah, yeah. But this is also a very touching one. So get ready for a roller coaster of emotion, <gasps> a bumper car ride of feelings. Oh, I love it. We're at the carnival today, baby. I'm telling you, Millie Vanilli. You remember them, right? I do. You said they won Best New Artist. Isn't that like sort of a cursed category? It is. Yes, it yeah. is. It's, Are you going to talk about that? Uh, did I just cut you? No, 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 no. You oh. can please. I actually did not prepare to talk about the history okay. of the Best New Recording <laughs> Artist for the Grammys, but well, it is. Well, I don't is. know. You're usually prepared to talk about just about anything. A lot of there's been a lot of bad winners over yeah, the years. It's, yeah, It is kind of known as it's kind of like the Madden cover for yes. sports. Where it's I don't like, know what you mean by that, but sure. Yes, exactly. Now, uh, Millie Vanilli, did you have the single? I don't think I did. Did you have the cassette tape, the album? Did you have the CD? I don't think I did. Did you not like Millie Vanilli? I really wasn't. I wasn't a fan, but like. I can't really imagine you would be, but well, you, you know, might have okay, been young, here's part impressionable. Of the problem. My brother and I were very young. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> Most of us start out that way. We, <laughs> they had like some songs that we could like kill for each other by mm -hmm. putting kind of weird alling the, oh, okay, the lyrics. Yeah, totally. Messing up the lyrics. Like and brother, so his whole way. thing, Girl, You Know It's True. Uh -huh. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Yes. I smell poo. <laughs> And like that's all I ever hear when anyone know. never says it, and so Travi <laughs> destroyed it, which is good. Yeah, way to go, Travi! Yeah, you know, when, uh, whenever I think of Millie Vanilli, I always just think of my my boy Langston. 
What up, Lank? This cat, right? He had dreads and I had dreads. We were both, you know, as you, much like you and your brother, we were young at the time, <laughs> but a little bit older. And we were all much older, actually. But anyway, when we'd roll out together, sometimes some smart ass would pop off. They'd be like, hey, which one of you is Millie? Oh, like which one of you is years Vanilli? And years later. Yeah, yeah this yeah. was like in college years, right? Yeah. They'd be like, oh, damn, I thought Millie Vanilli broke up. Right, like it's, funny. it's tough when you're like in like a rhyming circle and you're there to freestyle, and someone's like, "Girl, you know it's true." <laughs> ooh, 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 and that's like all they do. Then you just like, gotta like, tell oh. them your bad brains and punch them in the face. <laughs> HR, son. Come oh. on. Come yeah. On. No. So that's what I hear when I hear the words Millie Vanilli. I, I think see. of my boy Lank, and but the duo, right? Yeah. The associations are numerous for everybody. Now yeah. let's just get our party sorted. Who were Millie and who were Vanilli? Millie and uh. uh Captain Millie and then Admiral Vanilli. And yeah, and, and Tennealy. The uh, Millie Vanilli, it's, it's such a fun word to say. Millie Vanilli. Millie Vanilli. I'm going to be saying it a lot. So okay. It's a perfect name. If you're going to say it so much, it's going to lose meaning. Totally. It's hard yeah. to sound like nonsense. Yeah. I mean, it rhymes. It has a, this rhythmic consonance to it. It mm-hmm. gets got that good illy. Yeah, and the right? e at the end. Totally. Sounds <laughs> like nonsense because of that. Yeah. But also expensive nonsense. Like, oh, oh it's Millie Vanilli. It like sounds like some overpriced gelato you bought in Brooklyn. You're like, <laughs> oh, this is Millie Vanilli. So anyway, so. The real deal, Millie Vanilli, the OG yeah. Millie Vanilli, were two guys, two brothers. Right. But not brothers with a hard R, brothers with an A, right? <laughs> yes. They were exotic <laughs> brothers, right? With a dropped French R. Now, this first came before them was this other guy who I do think you know, Terrence Trent Darby. Oh, yeah. You remember him? What was his big Wishing hit? well. Wishing well. well. He was wishing good. Well. Yeah, right? Good high, for him. He had them high cheekbones, the dread, uh-huh. that black and white music video we're looking so pretty like, you know? Now, he set the stage for Americans. Like, because at the time, you have to understand, in the early 80s, both most of us, you know, brothers and everybody else, we were all like pretty much high on Michael Jackson and Prince at the time. They yeah. were like a black pop star. And then yeah. all along comes 1987, suddenly there's this high voice black dude singing all pretty and, and emo like before emo was oh, a totally thing was, yeah. right so this cat with the dreads he's got a british accent we're like who is this guy he exotic right <laughs> so that makes him all special and being americans we are still susceptible to the questionable charms of the british accent right. so even the brothers we're still like man that dude's saying real nice right so anyway the whole world the whole pop music world they all fall in love with terence trent darby and his huge hit as you know wishing well right Fast forward one year, we skip over to the continent now, right? The year is now 1988. There is a dance seminar held at a dance club in Munich, Germany. Wait, a, a German dance seminar? Yes, just imagine Von that. Yeah. And we are going to count on the tools and the force. So now... History is about to be made in this <laughs> Munich dance club, right? But, of course, no one there knows it. But uh-huh. there's one man there. His name is Robert Pilatus. Okay. And he meets another man named Maxime Sylvain Morvan, right? Now, both men are dancers, but they're also singers, Elizabeth. They share the same dream of pop stardom, a life on the stage, in the footlights. They I mean, they could be a backup dancer or the main act, but they know their future is on the board. They just have to dance. Yes, they're born for it. And the boards, by the way, that's what we show folk call the planks of wood that comprise a stage. <laughs> so I'm just going to let you behind the curtain on this. I'm just imagining Home Depot. <laughs> just sitting there on, on two, four, two by fours. <laughs> anyway, Millie meets Vanilli, right? So actually, in all honesty, Rob met Thob. Because well, Vanilla, yeah. Vanilli met Manili. <laughs> Manili, I, I can't say, can you say it backwards? Vanilli Millie? Oh yeah, Vanilli Millie. <laughs> <laughs> tough for you? <laughs> It was really hard for me for a second. You're there. like, where did the syllables go? Like, Am I having a stroke? Vanilli banana. Vanilli banana. Banana. So vanilli icy. Uh, no, right. Vanilli vanilli. Robert Pilatus, right? So 
they go and they realize after the, the whole Terrence Ter- Darby fame, they're like, we could have this too. I mean, yes, we are Germans, but we, why not us? Exactly. Yeah. So let's meet Millie and Vanilli. Hello. Robert Pilatus, born 1965 in Munich in the summer, June 8th, if you're into the details Did of it all. Did he invent Pilates? No, he should have, though. Yeah, With that probably. name, I mean, bang, mm-hmm. he really missed his shot. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Rob, he started his life out in a Bavarian orphanage. Oh. Yeah, he spent his first four years there until he won the orphan lottery and he was adopted out to a family. Okay. But it wasn't quite the win he'd hoped for because in his new home, at school and on the playground, he was often bullied. The German kids would, of course, pick on his ethnicity. They called yeah. him Kunta Kinte. Oh, God. As in Alex Haley's The Roots, the character. Yes. So luckily oh, for him, he had music. He had a love of music. So he leaves his adoptive home behind. He goes out on his own as a teenager. He soon finds steady work, quick money as a model. The guy's really striking to look at. He even has talents, though, beyond just skin deep. He's a great breakdancer, which pays well. Later, he gets hired as a backup singer for a German entry for the 1987 Eurovision Song Contest. Oh, Eurovision. Yeah, the, so the group is called Wind. They were a German schlager music group, Elizabeth. Someone's like, do you have wind at the, <laughs> at the, at the, to the like, DJ? And the he's German. like, no, what did you hear? Yeah. What? <laughs> Who told you that? Was it Horst? <laughs> so, I don't smell anything. You may be wondering, Zaren, what is German schlager? Schlager music. Great question, Elizabeth. Elizabeth? I'm so glad you asked me. Anyway, Schlager music, very German music phenomenon. The word Schlager, it means to hit, like as in to punch, right? Okay. And you'll find this word in many languages. It's the same borrowed word or it's cognate. And it's punching music. Literally means musical hit in most of the languages. In so like German, it means hardcore? to strike or to hit, but in most times it means a musical hit. Yeah. <laughs> so you have the, basically the same word in Estonian, Russian, Serbian, Turkish, Romanian, Finnish, Hungarian, Lithuanian, Czech, Dutch, Swedish, Latvian, Norwegian, Danish, and Hebrew. Hit music. I'm telling you, they all use the, the same punch, term. like punch and Schlager, music. yeah. Schlag, or their, the cognate in their okay. language, right? Okay. So this word schlagen, in terms of German music, what does it refer to? It refers to pop music, right? Oh, but, I uh, thought it was like... The Bronx, like, I want to punch people music. Oh, no, yeah, no, not like that. Damn. (laughs) So in the 1920s and 30s, there's this renaissance of Schlager music, right? Which then, of course, falls away because there's a little interruption between uh, that and the second revival in the post-war period. World War II got in the way of the two revivals, right? Mm -hmm. So in the 50s and 60s, post-Hitler, Schlager music becomes this rather harmless way to express the collective German identity. Okay. Right? So they're like, they get into it and they can do it to a beat, right? So the folk music pretty much, it reaches its popularity peak in the 60s in Germany, Austria. But once again, you're asking, Zarin, what is Schlager music? Yeah, you tell Elizabeth, me about its popularity. What is Schlager music? Still a tell great me, question, Zarin. Elizabeth. Okay, one I've yet to answer. So, what is Schlager music exactly? Elizabeth, you have to understand Schlager music has been called, quote, Germany's most embarrassing musical genre. <laughs> oh, dear. In 2017, they found that the all described Schlager music as, quote, the oral equivalent of nuclear war. It Wait, is an what? oeuvre that makes Christian rock seem subversive. What? <laughs> yes, yeah, what, all... what could this possibly? <laughs> so, the all also added that Schlager music, quote, contains lyrics that are maximally chirpy, predictable, simplistic, and very, 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 very rhyming. If your average terrible pop song rhymes 10 times in 30 seconds, a Schlager hit rhymes 50 times in 30 seconds. Like if your golden retriever learned German and then wrote a song. Wait, is this like, 
Am I now starting to understand Eurovision? Yes, you are starting to understand Eurovision. Because I've never understood, like, why why these songs are so bad. It's like campy folk music, essentially. And so that's what Eurovision is. Schlager music has been a big champion in the Eurovision contest. They've won numerous times Schlager music has won. All of Europe's like, oh, look, it's so fun, right? Okay, But not in their accents. Anyway, (laughs) so one writer for The Guardian, they noted that Schlager music is, quote, about being on holiday, country living, life on the Autobahn, li- living with animals, and living with animals on the Autobahn. Wait, what? <laughs> exactly. Hitting animals on the Autobahn. I think it's more like they're in the car with you. But, oh, yeah. I was just, like, plowing them <laughs> But down. you may be right. I do not know. <laughs> but there was this one... Jo- my flock of sheep. Yeah, look out for my shepherd. So there's this one uh, German woman, right? She's uh, she, she learned later in life that she was hard of hearing, right? And it is likely dated... She learned later in life? Yeah, she didn't Did realize Did Dawn it. on her? Did she, apparently she didn't know, right? Okay. So she she gets tested and she finds out that her hard of hearingness dated back to childhood and has been going on undiagnosed. Oh, so she just thought that that was life. How people heard, wow. right? So then eventually she discovers that, oh, no, it's my ears are not up to snuff compared yeah. to most of other people's you know, processing. Okay, boom. The German woman concluded, and I quote, that she must have simply tried while in the womb to develop some sort of self-protection mechanism against the musical tastes of my parents. <gasps> In other oh words, you tried to evolve natural protection <laughs> against Schlager music. So that's, that's how I bad Schlager music is. It's, it's basically German country music. Specifically, they compare it to Tex-Mex border music. That's well, like that's the big comparison. Bad. Yeah, but it's it's like, um, well, Schlager music has also gone through a German disco revival. There was uh-huh. disco Schlager in the 70s. <gasps> so just picture like Rhinestone, Lederhosen, and Umpapa music, but the accordion player, he kind of looks like, I don't know, like a leather daddy, and he's got like a giant mustache. Oh, no? uh, I'm trying so hard to, okay. <laughs> so anyway. I'm excited to there's this disco it. schlager revival. Is there so, a serious XM channel for this? Talk? Oh, that's a good question. We should look that up. I, I do not have an answer for that. I'll get in the car and look. Eventually, there's another revival in the 80s, and this is where this is blossom of cheesy German folk music finds a young Rob Pilatus finding oh, his there voice. He is. And he joins the group Wind, and their version of schlager music competes at the annual Eurovision Song Contest, which I told you up top. Right. And surprise, they do really well. In fact, they win <gasps> second place. Oh, well, yay. <laughs> this gives young Rob a taste for the limelight of success and pop stardom. He's like, I want some more of this. Yeah, right? totally. Now, cut over to my man, Fab Morvan, government name Fabrice Maxime Sylvain Morvan, street name Fab. He was born on the Caribbean island of Guadalupe in 1966. He was a spring baby. Born May 14th, son of German mother, American soldier father, Fabrice, raised in Paris, right? Very international. He also, much like Rob, has a love of music. For him, it's all about Bob Marley, the Jackson 5, the Beatles, Queen. These are his people, right? Yeah, like iconic groups. Very iconic. Very anthemic, right? So he turns at 18. Fab, he left Paris behind. He moves to Germany because that's like where everything is in the 80s that's really going on in Europe for the dance club scene. Okay, I had no idea. For the dance club scene. That's the spot, right? So this is where his musical education begins. Well, his begins at the same place in Germany, (laughs) <laughs> no less. He listens to Parliament Funkadelic. He cops some Run DMC albums. He listens to Sly and the Family Stone. He gets the brother gets funked up, right? Okay. So then he also gets hip to the Gap Band. So <gasps> now he's like, band. I want to become a musicians like them, and how does they make me feel? I want to do that for the world, right? So now we have these two young Germans, and they both bowstring pulled back, arrow ready to fly, <laughs> Elizabeth. But let's take a little break. Okay, All and right. then when we get back, I will tell you how they become Millie Vanilli. Nice.
Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on Wasp. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. They burned us and subject us to really horrible, uh, cruel and unusual punishment. After my personal experience at Provo Canyon School, I was shocked to learn that a man named Robert Litchfield, a man who got his start at the school that I went to, would go on to create a multi-million dollar empire. He was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. The Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs and Schools. They prey on, you know, a parent's really natural and beautiful love for their children in a really, really, unfortunately, effective way. At this time in my life now, if someone presented this program to me, and not just because I've already experienced it, Sham, scam, beware. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. All right, Elizabeth, we're back. Yes. All right, where were we? That's right, Germany. That's right. In the 80s. Robin and Fabin. Scene of disco, like post-disco club music. Things are just popping off. Pop music is just being made. People are, they're creating new dances, new fashion. It is everything a young person wants to be involved with. Especially if you're like a backup dancer, you know, which is what these guys essentially are. And models. And, you know, whatever. Anyway, eventually, it just takes a little bit of a matter of time before their paths cross. How did their paths cross, Elizabeth? I don't know. You tell me. Well, they met at another dance seminar in Munich oh, okay. in 1988. Dance, Remember, I told is. you. Yeah. So what happened when the two backup dancers and the models finally meet? Did they feel a spark? Did they immediately know? Did they have a dance did, off? Did they have a dance off? Did they resent each other? What What was their response? I think that they like broke down. They knew like, we're cool. You called it. Nice. As Rob said, 
quote, something clicked between us. Maybe it's because we're both black people who grew up in foreign cities that don't have too many blacks. So he gets right to the heart of it. He's like, I saw him, he saw me, and boom, we were like, he knows, exactly. (laughs) So they saw past what everyone else saw, and they saw each other, and they understood each other from the jump, right? But wait, from our researcher, Andrea, she found that actually they met three years earlier in 1985 in Los Angeles. What? Yeah, so apparently they don't remember meeting for the first time. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, the idea was this Rob Pilatus? He was a breakdancing boogaloo badass, right? He's the breakdancer. Fob is more of the singer dancer. So Rob is over there breakdancing. He's such a limber limb young dancer. He gets invited to, to compete in a breakdance competition in New York in 1984. Oh, that's like at the center. Yes. I mean, he's like, he's going up against crazy legs. I mean, this is like yeah. real legit breakdancing, 84, right? He's popping and locking, head spinning, crab dancing his way to America, and he gets there. Now, while he's in the U.S., he pops over to L.A. to see what's going on in the entertainment capital of the world. Right. And who was in town, Elizabeth? Attending a dance seminar. <laughs> You guessed it. New York Yankees great Yogi Berra. No, no, I'm kidding. It was Fab Morvan. I just, in my head, when I think, when I hear seminar, I just see like lines of chairs exactly. in like a hotel conference room. And... There's some kind of like visual presentation. Yeah, PowerPoint. Next, next slide. And then me like next dozing slide. off and yeah. then yelling, boring. Exactly. Yeah, so that's... imagine that, but with dance. Oh, so fun. apparently they met in LA at that dance seminar, but they, it wouldn't be until three years later in Munich that they decide, you know what, we should start a group together. We are obviously so much alike, right? So they decide, yes, it's a great idea. They, they start start a group they call it empire bazaar empire bazaar empire bazaar pretty good band name in my opinion i mean millie vanilli is like the yeah it's just amazing right sure. empire bazaar i mean that's re- really they're two for two in my opinion okay they should get in jobs naming new bands they're like forget singing just name new bands anyway empire bazaar is empire form. bazaar sounds like one of those fake instagram like clothing stores that yes. are just a scam it definitely yeah. sounds like that or like a um, a band for Scott Wheeland after Stone Temple Pilots. R.I.P. Yeah. You know, right. Totally. So anyway, they hire a third member because we need somebody who can sing. So they get this woman <laughs> Charlene, uh, Charlene, and uh, together the trio record a single called Dances, okay. or uh, dance. And so it was a dance club pop song, as you might imagine. Like Dance. All three they danced as they sang. They they, they played their own instruments. Oh really? And, oh yeah. Rob sang lead while playing bass guitar. So okay. they they were legit musicians. They managed to sell some records like in the club scene like and they sell like you know thousands of records but mostly they stayed what they were starving artists subsisting on their shared dream so yeah. now they didn't know this at the time but stardom was fast approaching elizabeth look out yes so enter the bad man this is the kind of scumbag you meet in many music business cautionary tales oh no in this case his name is frank farian okay but that's his street name government name franz reuter Franz Royce. So as you can tell from his original name, Franz was a German, or uh-huh. is a German, was a German. Anyway, as Frank Ferry, and he becomes a German record producer. Okay. So he has real baby boomer energy. But it turns out this dude predates the war, as in World War II. He was not part of the post-war baby boom. He was born in Hitler's Germany in 1941. Oh, God. That was the energy old Franz Reuter, was, oh, no. a.k.a. Frankie Farian, was born into. Just like the other lady, like, wanted, she, her body deafened itself to the bad. <laughs> 
music. Yes. He like his ears grew yeah. and was like, tell me more. I want to have everything about exploitation. <laughs> so he goes God. on to become a German pop music producer who by the <laughs> mid-80s was really swinging, right? His big innovation was to select people who look good, who look hip and sexy. Then he'd have them lip sync songs by people who had good voices. Uh... Yeah, he'd hire session musicians, a session singers, they'd cut a record, then he'd hire some models and dancers to perform it. Instant pop That's music crazy. hits, right? Yeah. This is because he knew this work because it worked for him. Yeah. He, his personal success in music dated back to the 1970s uh-huh. when he had a minor hit covering the song Al Capone, which he then retitled Baby Do You Want a Bump? Wait, 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 wait. First of all, I'm not familiar with the song Al Capone. I'm not either. And how does one get from Al Capone to Baby Do You Want to Bump? I do not know. Explain this to me, Zaren. It's so amazing. Baby, do you want to bump? Exactly. Like, what do we mean by bump? We know what we mean well, by I mean, bump. Or is it... But it makes Al Capone suddenly a very different figure. <laughs> He's like DJ Khaled all of a sudden. <laughs> Another one. Anyway, oh, the performing name for uh, Frank Farian, a.k.a. Franz Reuter, was Boney M. So Boney M? Boney, capital letter M. And when was this? In the 70s? In the 70s, yes. He would do the singing, but for the performances, he had an Aruban dancer named Bobby Farrell lip sync and dance for him. So he's got this, like... Because he had a face for radio? Pretty much, yeah. So that's the mold set, right? This is, he's like, oh, I got to do this again, right? So... Frankie Farron, he's also, by the way, uh, a legit singer. I mean, he was a backup singer. His biggest claim to fame was he provided the backup vocals for Meatloaf. Oh. Yes. In a lesser known single, Rock and Roll Mercenaries, he was uh, uncredited, but the track (laughs) was released in 1986, which means Frankie was working in the biz when he signed Rob and Fab to be his next big act. I am 100%. Going to start telling people that I'm a background singer. Now, I'm uncredited. I'm uncredited. Mind you. Yes. (laughs) But uh, you can hear me on all sorts of fantastic hits. I think you should do that. I think I will. Yeah. So anyway, Frankie Farian, he'd heard about these two good-looking brothers, these dancers, backup singers known as Rob and Fab in the club scene, right? So at this point, they're well-known in the Munich club scene, right? So they're hyper-stylish, they're super-attractive, because remember, they're model-good-looking. They also dress super cool in the ways that they're they're basically the leading edge of cool in Munich's club scene. So the more this Frankie Farian hears about them, the more he likes. And soon he's like, he starts coming up with an idea to make himself wealthy. He's like, I got a new bony M. So he, he gets word to Rob and Fab and he's like I'd like to meet so he invites them over to a studio in Frankfurt Germany the pair are stoked to be invited out to a producer studio a producer who's heard about them so Rob and Fab they travel to Frankfurt they show up at Frankie Farian's spot he puts the business charm on which typically works wonders on young starving artists sure. as you know so Frankie Farian he plays from the demo he'd recently recorded Rob later recalled that fateful meeting and everything in his life changes. And I quote, We got a call to come to the studio and we said, All right, that's it. We were just dumb little kids. So we said, Let's go. When we got to the studio, Girl, you know it's true. It was just a demo. And we, he asked us of our opinion of it. And we, and if we could sing it. And we said, Yeah, we could sing it. And he said, Oh, beautiful. I believe it. But next week we have shows to do. So don't worry. I'll make you into a millionaire. So... <laughs> They're all next expect- week we yes. have shows to do? Next week. He's just met him. And he's like, I got shows next week. You ready? Here, oh try God. on this spandex. He's hot sheeting them. So he's got the blueprint ready. The song recorded. All he needs is his front men. He makes the pair sign his standard deal with the double contract. Uh-huh. And the, the date of the contract signing is January 1st, 1988. The contract stipulates that Rob and Fab will record 10 songs per year. 
I couldn't find any limit on how many years. Just 10 Just songs per year until I say years. stop. So they signed the contract without, of course, any legal advice whatsoever. Aww. Now Frank Ferry has his talent right where he wants them, under lock and contract, so he gets down to business of exploiting them. He has them come into his studio and shows them, he goes, he goes oh, show me what you can do, right? And so they cut a track, and it's not at all what he wants. And he's like, oh, this sucks, right? As Ferryan would later recall, quote, these two guys come into the studio, they recorded, but they didn't have enough quality. So he's like, you know, not into it. So he goes to plan A. He yeah. hires session musicians, <laughs> session singers, and he has them record the track. <laughs> the singers are this guy, uh, John Davis, Brad Howell, the twin sisters, Jody and Linda Rocco, and finally Charles Shaw. So the okay. album's done, recorded April 1988. Farian, he whips out his standard deal with the devil contract, has all the session singers sign the contracts forbidding that they will ever reveal that they were the ones actually singing the record and not Robin Fab. Oh, of course, man. they all agree to stay mum. So the secrets, of course, are hard to keep. Yeah. But Charles Shaw, let's talk about him for yeah, a second. Yeah, Chuck. U.S. Army veteran. He had uh, crossed paths with Frank Farian somewhere along his winding path through life. He wrangled six grand out of Farian to perform his part on Girl, You Know It's True. He did the rap part. Oh, God. All right, so Elizabeth. He shouldn't tell anyone. Yeah. <laughs> so Frankie Farian, he gets greedy and controlling. He didn't know how to win over his stable of session singers entirely. So Shaw starts making noise about how he wants credit or more money. And so he did what you know made sense to his businessman brain. He threatened Farian that he'd rat him out to the music press. Mm -hmm. Right. So now the guy's like, uh, you know, Farian's like, oh, no, we can't have this. Come on. I, I can give you maybe like a couple hundred dollars more or whatever. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. He's trying to like lowball him. So Shaw's like, no, I'm going right to the press. So Farian, what does he do? He's like, oh, yeah. Then you are fired. Take your mic for rapping and you go. Right. <laughs> rap, so, rap, rapping. <laughs> so he's like, all right. So he leaves. Now, just remember that name, Charles Shaw, okay? Because that dude's going to be out there plotting his revenge. Oh, but for now, nice. Charles Shaw disappears from view. Well, Millie Vanilli takes center stage. And now, Elizabeth, do you know how they came up with the name Millie Vanilli? I told you about it, but no. I didn't tell you how they came up with it. No. So Rob Pilatus, he says it's, a, quote, a fantasy name. He said that, like, all oh, their pop stardom, success, the words Millie Vanilli were something of a fairy tale, right? It all happened so fast. It's just like, oh, just out of, like, magic, right? In a beat of a flutter of a butterfly's wing, suddenly Millie Vanilli was on the lips of everybody around the world, right? But Rob said... You know, at one point, he had this, this story of a friend who's traveling down in Africa, and he couldn't believe it, but, quote, there was no soap and no Coke, but there was Millie Vanilli. So that's how wild Millie oh, Vanilli. Oh, I like, thought this was like, still the story of how they got the Oh, no, the I'm, name. I'm telling you. I'm saying so I was like, what is Millie Vanilli it just in Africa magic. that it's everywhere? <laughs> it's everywhere. No, it just has this magical quality is my point. Okay. It's like a spell cast, right? Sure. The words they conjure this silly pop magic right into the world. The story is this, that uh, Millie Vanilli comes from a trip that they, Rob and Fab, had taken together to Turkey. And in Turkish, the phrase is used as an advertising slogan. It apparently means positive energy. Oh, really? Yeah. And there's another story, though, that is actually a nickname of Frank Farian's girlfriend. Her name was Ingrid Sigith, but Frank Farian called her Millie, right? So Fab just paired that with a rhyming nonsense word to evoke the sound and feel of a very big British band at the time, Scritti Politti. So which is it, guys? And then there's a third version of the ah. story where the name was borrowed from a long-defunct Berlin discotheque. Oh. Yeah, the truth is it's probably one of those stories, or maybe like they were just what if like... it's all three? Like one was eating vanilla yogurt and the other one dropped his bread and he's like, you got your Millie and my vanilla. <laughs> I, I don't know what the story is, Elizabeth, but... I, 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 do we know that it is like... 
currently used in Turkey is it like, is a it is an expression. It is an advertising slogan. So we, that part we do know is true. All right. All right? But w- what we know at this point is the summer of 1988 is is upon us, and Millie Vanilli has just entered the chat. Okay. So <laughs> the crowds get these in Europe. They get an eyeball. These two beautiful black men in spandex biker shorts, thigh high, Didn't twenty they wear, hole like, blazers, black with leather their, Doc their... Martin boots, yeah. black blazers, yeah. black leather biker jackets. You know, like just like yeah. straight up. So they had like big jackets and little tight pants. Exactly. Yeah, big up top, that. tight on bottom. And yeah. uh, the Euro crowds, they are loving it. Sure. Like they, the braided extensions are floating and whirling about like a dancer's skirt when yeah, they, they, they go. Did. They had braids. Right? They had like and box they, braids. Totally. And they'd lip sync the hell out of those pop songs, right? If they hadn't recorded them, but they knew the lyrics to lip sync them. Right. So everyone was like, oh, this is amazing. They look so good. They just look phenomenal doing it, right? But this, at this point, they believe is just the warm-up. This is like, you know, in bands, they go to Europe, and like American bands go to Europe to like yeah. build a name, and then they come back here, and they yeah. do their real tour. That's what they think they're doing, right? Okay. So then they'll go back to the studio and record their album. But as Rob tells it, quote, we would ask Frank, when are we going to be allowed to give some input? And he would say, yeah, yeah, but right now we need you to go out to do promotion. Of course you'll get to do it. Just work with us. That's how he strung us along. So they didn't wonder why they had never recorded anything? No, no, they're just out on tour. No. So right. they, they tour all summer, right? So they really have built up a name for themselves. A lot of people know who Millie Vanilli is at this point in Europe, right? November yeah. 1988, their summer tour is now behind them. Their debut album drops. They've built up the name. Boom. First, it's only available outside the U.S. Only available in Europe. Okay. Now, you could not buy it in America. But then in March of the next year, 1989, the album hits American store shelves. And at the same time, the songs hit the radio airwaves, videos drop on MTV, the pop shockwave starts. In America, Millie Vanilli's album was given a new name. You know it as Girl You Know It's True. The album gets ooh, re- ooh, ooh. remastered, remixed, and uh, songs replaced. Interesting. Five singles came out of that album. Five singles. All okay. five singles made it to the top five of the Billboard Hot 100 list. Really? I don't think I could name five of them. <laughs> yeah, me neither. Three of the five wait, singles wait, made wait. it to number one. Blame It yes. on the Rain was another one. Yes. Producer uh, Dave, how many can you go? Uh, you got Blame It on the Rain. Girl, you know it's true. Blame It on the uh-huh. Rain. I, that's it. That's, a, I'm, I'm okay. that's all, I, that's all I can come two. up with, too. Can you keep it going? Can you get a third one? Oh, wait, wait. Baby, don't forget my number. Ba-ba-ba-ba-baby. Don't forget uh, my number. Yes, Producer Dave. That's three. <laughs> can you keep it going? Uh, Girl, I'm going to miss you. Yes, that's Oh, four. my God. <laughs> that's right. And, and the, the last one single? Was, uh... I've got all or nothing, but I have yes! no idea what that sounded like. That's correct. Oh, you, re- oh, you little stinker! You were reading. That is correct. This. Producer Dave got them all, whether or not Wikipedia <laughs> helped him. <laughs> <laughs> So at this point, <laughs> the album's out. Everybody's like into it. They're all singing along to all the the, the various hits. And uh, at this point, though, the band is desperately fearing that someone will find out because they have not been able to record their album. And now the album yeah. is out. <laughs> and it's like over a year at yeah. this point. And they're having to travel the world and perform. And they're always wondering, will this be the day that our secret comes out? Did Every they ever time they perform. Who... Who's singing the actual stuff? Like, no, I mean, not really. I mean, they do know that there are some other singers, but it's like, what, are, what, what do you want to so know? Weird. You want to know who else is doing your job? I mean, no. Yeah, they were like, guys, these things. guys sound good. Don't Poor ever babies. let me meet them. Yeah. So as Rob tells it, quote, after Frank released the album, he told us that it was too late to stop now because the single was such a big success. He said, now you have to go through with it. I'll cover you guys. Nobody will find out. He said, here, I'll give you 20,000 advance money. We had never had a hit before, so we went along with it. We played with fire, and now we know. But it's too late. 
So, yeah, you do get too far into it. Then. That's exactly what happened to them. So at this point, we have them tick, tick, ticking up to the first peak, and the roller coaster ride is about to begin. Oh, no. But Elizabeth, I'm going to leave you there at the peak of that roller coaster. We're going to take a little break. Okay. I'll be right back and tell you about the rest of this thrill ride. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on Wasp. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. They burned us and subject us to really horrible, uh, cruel and unusual punishment. After my personal experience at Provo Canyon School, I was shocked to learn that a man named Robert Litchfield, a man who got his start at the school that I went to, would go on to create a multi-million dollar empire. He was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. The Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs and Schools. They prey on, you know, a parent's really natural and beautiful love for their children in a really, really, unfortunately, effective way. At this time in my life now, if someone presented this program to me, and not just because I've already experienced it, Sham, scam, beware. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Elizabeth, it's March 1989. Mm -hmm. Millie Vanilli begins their North American publicity blitz. 
Yeah. They perform at the Soul Train Awards. They perform at the at an AIDS benefit put on by their label, Arista Records. In Toronto, they pick up a Juno Award for International Album of the Year. Meanwhile, they also perform over 100 concerts across America. Whoa. Yes, the buzz is not only lit, it's gone, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so at every single concert, they're lip syncing all of their hits. All five, not too, all five of them. That's not too uncommon. No, that's the thing, yeah. right? But anyway, and so Fob said it was a strange agony to be performing, but not really. In his words, quote, We sang along every night at every concert, but the audience was not allowed to hear our voices. We can sing, and after a while you forget that it's not your voice. But we are afraid to tell anybody. When people find out you're not really singing, your credibility is shot. You're just a joke. Well, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> pretty much that's the truth, brother. So Rob, he spoke to this. There's like a psychological imprisonment, this distortion of reality that they started going through. Yeah. He said, quote, One of the weird psychological things about doing what we did is that after you perform 100 concerts, slowly but surely you begin to believe you really are the singer. Oh, it screws yeah. you up. You're out on stage and you just catch yourself thinking that it really is your own voice. Right. right That's right. gotta be weird, right? To start hypnotizing yourself oh, with pop songs until you believe you are the singer of the songs. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, meanwhile, the record company Fat Cats, they make sure that no one will question their end of the deal. So BMG and Frankie Ferry, and they make sure that neither Rob nor Fab ever speak to a lawyer or even an agent, and instead they slap a label on the back of each album that pushes the lie. A former BMG marketing director Karsten Hain. He said, quote, the record company made sure that it was written on the back cover of the singles and the album that the vocals were Robert and Fabrice. The record company did this on purpose in order to avoid all the questions so they could say to the media, look at the cover. What does it say? Wait, so, so they didn't have agents? No. So the reason why there were questions was because Rob and Fab weren't good at lip syncing as much. I mean, they were pretty good, right? Yeah. But, but, you know, but that was a big part of the deal. But also they looked the part. And so to the untrained eye, they were pretty convincing, right? Right. But then there would be their on-camera interviews. Uh-huh. And that's when the questions blossomed. Oh, no. Elizabeth, do you think it was odd that two Euro brothers with thick German and French accents <laughs> would sing an unmistakably American-accented pop singing voices? A little bit weird. Right? Now, weird looking back. Looking back. Now, like, at the time, I, I heard this <laughs> when it was new. I heard this when it was pop music, and I told my sister, who was a big fan of them, I'm like, that's not them. There's no way you're getting oh. that voice out of that. Like, you hear them? They're talking like this, Megan. And then they're singing like this. See, I've never heard them speak. Oh. Oh, yeah. No, it's very thick accent, right? So that becomes a problem for them. And so now uh, the next month, April 89, a month or so under their pop blitz in America, Rob and Fab, they seek legal protection because they start realizing it's only going to be so long before someone's going to be left holding his bag. Now, they sign a contract with Galen Mori Associates for legal representation. They want someone to fight for their legal right to sing their own songs, which they weren't really their own songs. But anyway, they wanted to be able to sing on their next album and on their next tour. Now, at the time, Sandy Galen was a top agent in Hollywood. So they felt finally protected. They have somebody to fight their producer. Meanwhile, they also began to taste some of the fruits of their success. They moved into a home in Beverly Hills. It, it was a rental. Wait, but they shared a house? They shared a house, right? You know, for the summer, they began to, like, you know, now they're also touring, so they really didn't get to, like, be in their house much. Well, so, like, they probably there for, like, a week. space. They, you would they think. spend but all they're, they're, they're also together. They're good buddies. I yeah, don't know. Anyway. Yeah, that's true. So they perform at some big summer shows. You know, this is their first taste of trouble. And uh, rather than me just telling you about Elizabeth, I'd like to close your eyes and <gasps> to picture it. It's July 21st, 1989. 
You are hot. You are sticky with humidity. You smell like suntan lotion and other people's sweat. Oh, God. You are at a summer tour event for the show MTV Club. Oh. You, along with tens of thousands of teenagers, are currently in the Lake Compounds theme park in Bristol, Connecticut. Oh, my God. Count me <laughs> On out. the bill to perform today are Was Not Was. <gasps> Walk the Dinosaur. <laughs> Tone Loke and Millie Vanilli. Oh, my God. What a lineup. <laughs> at the moment, Goodness. you are in a throng of screaming teenagers, and on stage is Millie Vanilli. You wonder how you got here. Yeah, I do. And I'll tell you, it's not pretty. You signed up to be a chaperone for a Girl Scout troop's trip to a theme park. Oh, my God. You thought you'd ride some rides, eat some cotton candy, maybe get a sunburn. Instead, you're listening to Cotton Candy, and you do indeed have a good sunburn going, and you're indeed on a roller coaster of emotion. So, at the moment, the duo, Millie Vanilli, is bouncing around on stage, dancing and singing at the same time. They are a whirl of braid extensions and black leather jackets, and you're like, in this heat? Anyway, <laughs> there's also the spandex. It's a whole thing. As the mostly teenage crowd sings along with, girl, you know it's true. Ooh, ooh, ooh. You want to go home so badly. Oh, yeah. But you have at least three more hours of this. Oh you wonder how much longer this MTV club show can possibly last. The Girl Scouts left this part of the trip out of the planet. <laughs> and then you hear it. The same lyrics over and over again. Girl, you know it. 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 Oh, the song no. is skipping. On stage, the two performers don't know what to do. So they just keep dancing as the song keeps skipping. Girl, you know it. Girl, you know it. On the inside, Rob is thinking, I knew right down and say, it was the beginning of the end for Millie Vanilli. Aww. When my voice got stuck in the computer and it just kept repeating and <laughs> my repeating. Vo my voice got <laughs> I, stuck. I panicked. So the song just continues to skip. The, the dude who's working the soundboard, dude, couldn't he just hit the fast forward button? But uh, nope. Why is it skipping on like a digital <laughs> track, I would assume? So the kids are just beginning to realize this is not intentional. This is not a DJ cutting up the record. This is a CD scratching. Well, and they don't have a microphone held up to a record player. Like, how is this skipping? I well, it's a CD skip. CD oh, skip. It's a, CD it's a skipping okay. CD. So it's so like they put it that on, digital okay. skip. Yeah. All right. I'll so allow it. Backstage, you see Millie or Vanilli run off stage. Aww. It turns out it was Rob. He'd later say, I didn't know what to do. I just ran off the stage. So your eyes follow the fleeing pop star. And as you see him run smack dab into downtown Julie Brown. The legendary MTV VJ oh, with the hip British accent. She stops Rob and looks like she's clearly urging him to go back out on stage. Fob is still out there. He's dancing over the skipping song. He's still he's, skipping. He's a trooper. Oh so God. you clearly see a few mouth F-bombs and then there's a head nod and Rob agrees to go back out on stage. He rejoins his partner Fob because why Elizabeth? You already know the answer. The show must go on. Of course. The 15,000 or so kids watching the show are never really the wiser. The ones who do figure it out, they know it's a CD skipping. They aren't bothered because, you know, their performers are lip syncing at a show in Bristol, Connecticut theme park. Like, right. maybe they wouldn't be singing. Right. There's no negative repercussions that day whatsoever. Huh. Meanwhile, you go back to wondering when this MTV club show will be over, or at least when will Tone Loke be on stage? Yeah. Okay. As it turns out, a few of the sun-drunk teens and the actually drunk older members of the MTV audience, they noticed the Millie Vanilli disaster going down. They mm -hmm. saw it just like you. There were others, though, who were backstage, and they noticed, and when they noticed, talk got out. Industry kind of talk. The, a whisper campaign began. Now... When I was reading about this, I like to imagine a conference room at Arista Records like the next day after yeah. this event. And there's like talk around the table and like this, it probably went something like this, like, okay, so that wasn't great. Uh, and then someone else like <laughs> chimed in. 
could we uh, maybe let them really sing next time? I mean, how bad could that be? And then some other executives like, yeah, yeah, no, that, that could be worse. And then they're like the first guy's, well, you know what the real problem is? It's not their singing. It's their talking. Can we just get them to stop talking? Oh, so now everyone in the room agrees and it gets real quiet. But anyway, yeah. my point, the American music press, they start to feast on all the questions that are arisen oh, now. Man. And so the late night talk show hosts, they also seize on this. Arsenio Hall, particularly brutal, he stayed on them, making jokes about the German-accented pop stars with the flawless American singing voices. Yeah. It was like his new favorite uh, go-to joke, right? Huh. It was so obvious for people. Even Rob said, quote, every time we gave an interview, the reporters would hear my French accent or Rob's German accent. They'd say, no way. How could these guys have sung these songs? Why are you, if he has a French right, accent, you know why what? are you giving? <laughs> you know what, Elizabeth? I like doing a German accent more than a do. French accent because I, I just sound do. like I'm making fun of the French. Whereas with the Germans, they're like, also, please leave us out of this. <laughs> but you know what? They can't stop me. Those are my people. So deal with it. And so anyway, he also said, the more we talked, the worse things got. We were afraid the truth would come out. It's kind of like when I talk, the worst thing. Anyway, so after their MTV gig in July, Millie Vanilli stops doing all press interviews. They go, no more talking. Oh. So, but they keep performing. That's not suspicious. <laughs> so their team seems to hope that all the talk will just kind of melt away and they can go back to printing money out of pop songs. Right. The talk does not go away, Elizabeth. No. So in August, a summit meeting is called and Frank Ferry and his girlfriend, uh, Ingrid, a.k.a. Millie, along with Rob and Fab, they take an elevator up to the 107th floor of the World Trade Center. Ooh. There, they meet the executives from Arista Records. They all lunch at Windows on the World Restaurant. Right. The view must have been incredible. Yeah. Anyway, the subject of the meeting, how quickly can we improve their English? and make it seem like they actually plausibly oh, sang their man. own songs. Oh, no one has an answer. So clearly the record company is aware of the scam that they are perpetuating. Yeah, yeah. Now, Todd Headley, the duo's manager at the time, he said that, quote, anyone who worked closely with Millie Vanilli has known from the get-go that these guys do not sing their own material. When I came on board, every record company official at Arista and BMG knew it. Everybody in the management company knew it. That's why most of their employees are forced to sign a confidential clause binding them to stay silent. So oh, wow. there we have some evidence. However, the folks from Arista, they have maintained their innocence. They claim that they did not know that Rob or Fab weren't singing on their records. Yeah. And I'm sure iHeart's lawyers would insist that I add that this is quote from Arista that, quote, any assertions to the contrary are false and libelous. Okay. And regarding Millie and or Vanilli, quote, we deplore their attempts to distort the record and to falsely accuse Arista and its executives. So there you go. That's been there said. It is. Record industry legend Clive Davis, he yeah. was at that summit dinner. He was the big boss at the dinner. It's been claimed that he was fully aware of the hoax and that it was going down others say he was innocent and unaware so who's to say i have my opinion exactly anyway you know you remember charles shaw yes he was the american brother who was the rapper on the album he was the one who was fired when he threatened frank ferry and he said mm -hmm. he would snitch well he was good to his word <gasps> charles shaw finally got his revenge millie vanilli they're back on the continent now for their first big european tour they've left america trying to maybe put some distance between them and all these ugly rumors yeah. meanwhile charles shaw he sits down for an interview with john leland a writer from new york newsday he tells the reporter the whole story how he was one of three male vocalists featured on the album and that Robin Fab did not sing a single note on the album. Oh, my God. At that same time, Frank Farian, he finds Charles Shaw. He starts throwing money at Shaw to shut up and go away. <laughs> and at first, he's like, but you also have to retract your statement. So Frank... Ferry and he offers the rapper 150 grand to take back what he said. This is more than he's given the boys yeah, right. to do albums, right? Shaw doesn't take it. At that point, Millie Vanilli is a behemoth of pop music. The, the, the duo at this point has sold 14 million albums. They are wow. certified pop stars. The, and then the unthinkable happens. 
In February of the next year, as the controversy is now swirling and denials being are persisting, Millie Vanilli wins the Grammy Award for the best <laughs> new artist. Fabry called how at that moment at the Grammys felt for them backstage that night. He said, Rob and I hung. Sorry, if you, I'll do it. Rob and I hugged each other and celebrated. It may have looked like joy and happiness, but inside it was pure confusion. We knew this would come back to bite us in the butt. The folks at the record label weren't so thrilled about this Grammy win, which is rare. Normally they like an award. But a former head of creative services at Arista, this dude Ken Levy, he said, and I quote, We all knew by the time of the awards that they hadn't sung on the album. So it was a little awkward and uncomfortable for us when they did win. Yeah, I bet it was there, Ken. So at this point now, Millie Vanilli, they know their moment is over. So what do they do, Elizabeth? They know it's just a matter of time. They go whole hog and they really live it up. So in March, a month after their Grammy win, Rob is quoted in Time magazine. He gets straight up heretical. He says, and I quote, Musically, we are more talented than any Bob Dylan. Musically, we are more talented than Paul McCartney, Mick Jagger. His lines are not clear. He don't know how he should produce a sound. I'm the new modern rock and roll. I'm the new Elvis. Wait. Wait, that's just like, wow. Right Right to the top. So to his credit, Rob later clarified his comments. He said (laughs) that the reporter misunderstood his German accent. Oh, get out of here. I didn't say Elvis. I said Alvin from Alvin and the Chipmunks. (laughs) I'm the new Alvin. No, I don't know what I said. Anyway, April 1990, Arsenio Hall, he invites Millie and Vinley to perform live and to prove that they can sing. They do not take the gig. That same month, Damon Waynes, Keenan Waynes, they do a very famous send-up of Millie Vanilli on The Moving Color. Do you remember that? Uh Yeah, that pretty much killed them. Then comes August, and now suddenly there is a new Millie Vanilli album. No one asked for. The title (laughs) is a great choice, considering the timing and the context. It's called Keep On Running. No. (laughs) It was a pure cash grab by Frank Farian. Farian debuts the new Millie Vanilli album at a listening party in Frankfurt for music executives. The album features a female singer, a rapper, two male singers, the same session singers as the first album, and still no Robin Fab. All they ever wanted was to sing on their second record. As Rob recalled uh, Frank Farian, he would not allow us to enter the studio. Then he said that the new album was already cut with other singers and it was too late. So we forced the issue. He's a white German guy who has a big complex about the black artists. He did it with Boney M and he did it with us. He's a control freak. Oh. Right? Man. So when their new album is released in America, there's a new title, The Moment of Truth. Because <laughs> irony has no bounds. It just gets richer and richer. So the duo is now called, by the way, the real Millie Vanilli, like the real Ghostbusters or something. <laughs> when the new album failed to chart or gain any heat, Frank Farian tried to control the narrative. So he claimed that he'd fired Rob and Fab, and then Farian tried a quick rebrand of the new band as, quote, Try NB, like uh, apostrophe, capital N, apostrophe. So try, capital N, B. Or like, like we tr- try like, and be like tr- we try, an actual yeah, singer. Try and be. Yeah. <laughs> we try and be. We, we try and boss. That's what I heard. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, finally to distance himself from what he had done, Farian tells a reporter from the LA Times that neither Rob nor Fab had performed a single note on their album. The truth is now out there from the source. Yeah. And then Millie Vanilli is immediately dropped from Arista Records. Okay. Smash cut to the voice of reason, aka a generation's newsman, MTV News' Kurt Loader. Yes. He said at the time it couldn't happen to nicer people when they said they were better than paul mccartney they were setting themselves up for a fall i love it kurt loader with the undercut so (laughs) in the la times story rob comes clean as well he told chuck phillips the writers from the la times quote i feel like a mosquito being squeezed the last few years of our lives have been a total nightmare we've had to lie to everybody we are the true singers but that maniac frank farian would never allow us to express ourselves 
I love that he's the mosquito being like you're Squeeze. a parasite. You're <laughs> he knew a blood sucker. He got her. Yeah, exactly. Getting, okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> poor thing. So that same day, the LA Times stories comes out that night on David Letterman for his top ten monologue of the night. He lists top ten new jobs for Millie Vanilli. Oh God! I went back and I watched that episode. The top uh-huh. ten list is not a funny one. Oh. Number five: professional objects of scorn and ridicule for years to come. Number four: fact checkers at 2020. The buckwheat division. Wait, number three, yes. Number three, even newer kids on the block. Number two, extremely groovy fry cooks. And number one, who cares? Just as long as we don't hear from them ever again. Can I can I turn the car around and go back to number four? Oh, the buckwheat division. But what the? Yeah, right. Okay. Oh my Oh wow. Oh yeah. No, this is like 1990. So it doesn't matter. Yeah, no, I'm just saying, just placing it in the context of time. Yes. Wow. This was the casual racism I grew up with, Elizabeth. This is it. <laughs> the, the casual racism of my <laughs> So three days after the Letterman Top 10 list and the LA Times story runs, the Grammys people, they step into the fray. To minimize the stink that's getting on them, they revoke the award, the only time they've ever done that. Oh. The, the one they hand out to Millie Vanilli, they take back, right? So no one can ever say Grammy award-winning Millie Vanilli Aww. ever again. The question then becomes, well, which one of the runner-ups yeah, will win the award? Everybody it. wants to know. Elizabeth, can you guess who the runners-up were for the best new artist <gasps> in 19, is 1990? 1990. So the album would be a 1989 album. Oh, God, I don't know. I'll give you a hint. Here's one. Nana Cherry. <gasps> oh, yeah, yeah, she was cool. She was awesome. Don, yeah, Don Cherry's daughter. I just, I don't Tone know. Tone Loke. He oh, was he, up there. I see where they're, you know. The group Soul to Soul. <gasps> and Back the to folk, Life. And the folk duo Indigo Girls. Oh, my God. Who won it? And the Grammy folks decide the award will go to no one. Yes. (gasps) They decide we'll do no award this year. And what a lineup of crazy wow. <laughs> Indigo Girls versus Tone Loke. <laughs> so five days after the story breaks, Rob and Fab they give a press conference because everybody wants to hear from them. Sure. They agree to return their Grammy and then to prove that they really can sing and rap, they perform for the gaggle of journalists. About a hundred different journalists are there. Oh wow! Their voice coach is also there, and he's at the, the press conference. He told the reporters that they can sing up to Pavarotti's high C, not as well as Pavarotti, but they did do it. <laughs> That's a quote from him. <laughs> now, Rob is personal his confession as to why they went along for the Millie Vanilli ride. Yeah. He tells the gathered press, quote, We were living together in the projects with two other musicians in Munich. We had nothing to eat and we were unhappy. We wanted to be stars and suddenly this guy gave us a chance and we took it. Sure. Pretty much straightforward, right? Makes sense. Were they happy it was over? We hear about this often with criminals. Were they happy it was over? Yeah. You better believe it, Elizabeth. Oh, I can imagine. <laughs> it was ausgezeichnet. <laughs> that means outstanding in German. So anyway, someone would have to pay for the crimes of Millie Vanilli. Right. So they said, quote, we're happy that it's over, but we don't understand that it's us, the two little guys from Germany, the victims who have to play suddenly the role of the crooks. Yeah. Now, I would make the same point now. Were they these two scheming artists who conned the innocent music industry with their devious plans? No, clearly not. If anything, Rob and Fab were the ones who were conned. They went along for the ride as much as anybody, if not more so than anyone, they were conned. But yet the world is still mad at them for being tricked. Right. Everybody suddenly hates them. Meanwhile, Frank Farian and Clive Davis are to record executives, they all knew the score and they all profited a ton. And then they all left Rob and Fab holding the bag of stinking dookie in right. public derision. Right, exactly. And, but they owned it. These dudes owned it. Once again, my man Rob 
latest, he said, quote, all of our lives we dreamed about Hollywood. We dreamed about Sunset Boulevard and the beach. We became big stars. It's not like we cried every night or something. We have to be honest. We were pressurized with fear, but we were still players. We had lots of good times with the girls and the money and the champagne and all that. We sold our souls to the devil. We lied to our families and our friends. We let down our fans. We realized exactly what we did to achieve our success. We made some very big mistakes and we apologize. We were afraid for two years that this day would come. We've cried about it sometimes that the secret might come out, but deep inside, we wanted it to happen. Yeah. Now, the quieter of the two, Fab Moraban, he said at the same press conference, we love being on stage. We love being in front of an audience. Rob and I never meant it for it to go this way. Our producer tricked us. He We signed contracts as singers, but we were never allowed to contribute. It was a nightmare. We were living a lie. The psychological pressure was very hard. It was like we were trapped in some golden prison. Yeah. So once the truth comes out, there are, of course, a string of lawsuits, 26 of them to be exact. Oh, my God. There's even a lawsuit from the band Blood, Sweat, and Tears. They got in there like, What are they doing poking around? I know, right? Well, they, apparently they, they accused a group of stealing one of their melodies for the song Spinning Wheel and using it for Girl, You Know It's True. And if you listen to it, it's, it's pretty clear. Okay. So the lawyer wrote in his legal briefs, quote, This lawsuit is about the song they never wrote on the album they never sang. <laughs> You got to hand it to homie for that. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, fun fact. During their madcap rollicking ride through fame and American stardom, Millie Vanilli ended up performing with Bob Dylan. What? And the rest of the Wilburys, traveling or otherwise. Yes, Wait, Rob what? and Fab were in the traveling Wilburys music video. Where, I don't know. Uh, I, I can look it up. I had a note for it I'll earlier, it but up. I don't have it with me right now. Sorry. Weird. Yeah, but I, what I am saying is this. They were everywhere, Elizabeth. For a moment, they were huge. They were they were the new rock and roll. Sure. They were the new Elvis, and then sure. they were gone. Poof. Yeah. Now, I think my man Rob, uh, he subbed it up at the best period when he said, the hardest thing to take was kids in a school bus sticking out their tongues at me. That was the hardest thing? Dude, I'm with him on this, Elizabeth. <laughs> Have you ever had like a teenager murk you in public? Oh, my God. That's the most, it's my personal nightmare. I'd rather be, have to face a snake, a person with a gun, than like two teenage Teens girls. Teens are terrible. Oh, my God. Oh, my yeah. God. They're merciless. They see everything an adult wants to hide. It's like Terminator vision. Yes. And they know, and then they go right at and you. And they also, they don't, you know, like uh, they talk about like, uh, rattlesnakes. Maybe rattlesnakes are the ones that are the most dangerous mm -hmm. because they don't know how much toxin to put in. So they yeah. just put a full load in. So you never want to be struck by a small <laughs> rattlesnake. It's always be struck by a big rattlesnake. Uh -huh. That's teenagers. Yeah, that's very true. Anyway, so I feel them on the whole. They were ticking their tongues. I imagine they were saying stuff beyond that. Yeah, he didn't sure. want to say. Anyway, yeah. how does the Millie Vanilli story end? Oh, I don't think it ends. Well, well, there's some darkness. Actually, there's a lot of darkness. But we're not. We're just going to skip yeah, over let's that. Not talk and instead, about that. I will leave you with this. In December 2020, Fab Moraban he gave an interview to Variety, and he said of their time as Millie Vanilli, "Quote: We were seduced and very young. We had no life experience. We were riding the wave. It was a crazy adventure. We were getting loaded, trying to escape, constantly a fear of being discovered. We've been." carrying this cross for a long time. We've been blamed over and over. We were victims of our own dreams of stardom. We chewed up and spit out by the record industry machine. I've always been underestimated. My dream was to be a singer or songwriter. I'm able to look in the mirror today and be happy with what I see. Aww. So there is that. He no that longer sees Millie or Vanilli in the mirror. He yeah. just sees fob yeah, yeah and a reflection of happiness so what's our ridiculous good. takeaway elizabeth man i don't think people understand like the power that you know fame and the desire for fame that desire it's the glamour of it mm -hmm. the, the, it's so the fulfillment it's so of dreams powerful and intoxicating for mm -hmm. people and they will do all sorts of stupid crazy things especially when they first get a taste of it yeah or because like, then you, you want know, to keep it going you've yeah. waited so long to get to this point you don't want to lose that yeah when you see like 
parents who get their kids involved mm-hmm. in it and they totally. will overlook all sorts of red flags. Yeah. But it's like because they, there's that chance that, that they and their kids will be rich and famous. Exactly. And, and like it is, it's the glamour of it all. Like he was saying, like, you know, you're living in L.A. and you're riding around in limos. And, and you have a lot of co-conspirators. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of other people helping out who are making a lot off of this. And then they're just the front for this. And they will puff you up. They'll yes. tell you everything you need to hear. And Don't so, worry. We got you. Yeah. So I really, I really feel for them. Yeah, I, I did too. Them. Well, my ridiculous takeaway, Elizabeth, once again, thank you for you asking. You are so welcome. As always, is um, <laughs> I can't do a French accent. Sorry. Okay. I'm, just, I'm just not going to. I'll have you do I. it. You no, know, I French accents. Uh, for some, that's a lot of talking. I was like, you don't want to hear that much of my French accent. Anyway, that's it. That's my ridiculous takeaway. Excellent. You can always find us online at Ridiculous Crime on Twitter, Instagram. We have a website, uh, ridiculouscrime.com. You can also do talkbacks on the iHeart app. Yes. We love those. Yes. Email us if you want at ridiculouscrime at Gmail. And as always, remember, dear Elizabeth. Yep. That's how it should start. Sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Once again, thanks for listening. And always, we'll be back next week. Ridiculous Crime is hosted by Elizabeth Dutton and Zarin Burnett. Produced and edited by the Millie to our Vanilli, Dave Kusti. Researches by Marissa, Nana Cherry was robbed, Brown, and Andrea, I'm a tone loaf truther, song sharpened here. Our theme song is by Thomas, one hit wonder, Lee, and Travis, Kurt Loder was right. Dutton, host wardrobe provided by Botany 500. Executive producers are Ben, I always preferred Technotronic, Poland, and Noel, yeah, pump up the jam, Brown. Ridiculous Crime. Say it one more time. Ridiculous Crime. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. Well, how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP, the worldwide association of specialty programs and schools. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. It was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. Join my host as they unravel the story of the largest and most shocking organization in the history of the troubled teen industry. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.